on that film clip, if you understand, that's showing us that we can go straight to the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus. That's John the Revelator seeing what was happening in heaven. And it's an amazing thing that, that we can come together as one to worship our King and we can have church. And, and, and I'm, I want to I encourage you tonight to, to understand that God is for you and not against you. We serve an absolute good God. Your life might not look like that today, but it doesn't change the fact that God is good. And it's up to us to believe what the Bible says in order to understand what Christ has done for us. So tonight, I want you really to, to just really shake off the blues, so to speak, and understand how much the Father loves you. And a true father corrects his children, disciplines his children, loves his children, and edifies his children. And we'll touch on that tonight. So, Lord, I thank you for tonight. This is all about you, Jesus. We may need, have a need that we need to be met, but it's still about you. We may have done wrong and failed you, but it's still about you. It's all about you, Jesus. So we lift up the name of Jesus tonight. His name is above every name. The name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for what you have started in us that you will bring to pass. The work you have started, you will complete. Give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the anointing today has fallen early. Can you please be seated? Guys, the kids can... They're already gone. All right, you can take your kids in. There is, there is no one can accuse us of not obeying, go forth and multiply. That's for sure. There's kids everywhere. That's one scripture that we have obeyed really well. Luca. <laughs> We all doing good? Are we all doing good? Good to see your lovely faces again on this Sunday at church. I want to share tonight. Um, was there any announcements? No, that's it. I want to share tonight um, about the, the, the title of the message, Who Do You Say I Am? And it's a question. I often, th I often say this. Until I know who I am, I need to know who he is. See, I don't know who I really am as a believer until I know who he is. A lot of people can do things for Jesus and claim that, you know, we're saved by grace and we do. And we've been talking about a lot of different things the last couple of weeks. But who do you say I am? Jesus, this is a, a scripture and, and a teaching that Jesus asked his disciples. He first asked who do the people say I am. And we all say, I don't care what people think about me, but let's be honest, we all care what people think about us. We're all liars when we say, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Because Jesus cared. Jesus said, who do the people say I am? Then he asked them a question, but who do you say I am? In other words, he asked them, what is everyone else saying about me? And now, but what, what do you think? What do you think? Who do you say I am? See, Jesus was concerned about what they thought about him. 
He just didn't allow him and affect him what they thought about him. See, Jesus wanted to be known as the Son of God. He went around teaching and being, doing good and healing those oppressed of the devil. So he wanted to be known. He even said, if you don't believe me, believe in the works that I do because I come from my Father. Jesus was concerned about what they thought about him. It just didn't determine who he was. Does that make sense? So you can walk through your whole life and you can be swayed and, and, and you can be pushed around and you can think, who am I? Because Christ in me, we all have Jesus and we've all accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior and we're going to heaven and that's a glorious thing, amen? Everyone say amen. We're going to heaven. We're not going to hell. Contrary to liberal thinking that there's no hell, there is a hell and there's a heaven. Thank God that Jesus came and paid that price, amen? But in order to walk on this earth, who do you say I am? Jesus is saying, who do you, how do you perceive me? It's an interesting thing because we're going to share on Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 about Peter. Now, don't go out of here today talking about Tony just picked on the apostle Peter all night. Because I'm not picking on Peter. But Peter's us. I love Peter because he reminds me of me. He says something before he thinks about it. And gets in trouble all the time. But Peter was real because Peter was rough. Peter, he cursed. Peter was just your man's man. And Peter would say things that people wanted to say but didn't have the, um, the courage to say. Peter would put his foot in it all the time. Peter would, was rebuked and Peter did many things. But Peter was still the one that God says, come and follow me and get on the water and walk on the water. Peter's a real type and shadow of us today. That God, Jesus saw so much in Peter, but there were so many rough edges. You know, someone asked me the other day, how do I know if I'm maturing in the Lord? And you can say that in the natural. In the natural sense, someone could grow up. That's the long, yeah. Someone could grow up. He could be 25, 30 years old. And you say, mate, that guy's got the brain of a 17-year-old. He's, he's of age, but he hasn't matured. And it's the same in the body of Christ. You could have a Christian 20 years and have absolutely no knowledge of what they're talking about. They've been to church, they've been faithful, but there's no maturity, there's no substance to what they believe. It's not about the time, it's about the change in your heart. And you know what's in your heart when you start to get crushed, when the, when the pressure's on, when things aren't going to plan. I often say this, there's many measures of your maturity. It's not a level you have to reach, it's just a... But I often say this because... You know when you're maturing is when something arises in your heart, whether something offense or something comes against you, and it's how you react to that. And when you do react, even if you react incorrectly, how quick do you go to the Lord with it to change it? That's a sign of maturity. Sign of maturity is when someone pokes the bear a little bit, and Ravis has been sharing the last couple of weeks on Wednesday, and if you haven't watched them, go back and watch them. They're amazing. Because they're touching in things that people don't want to touch on. And I mean, who, who after Wednesday had to repent? I did. But that's okay. That's what the Bible's for. It's to change us from the inside out. What if you get into a situation and you react a certain way? The quickest way to change, the quickest way to maturity is take it before the Lord and change it. Don't go waiting three weeks, four weeks, six months, six years until that seed grows into a, a harvest and then someone has to come and get an axe to chop it out. The quickest way to maturity is to allow God to change you. But you have to be honest enough to say, I've got an issue here. God, help me in this area. The quickest way to maturity 
if, you're, if we're talking to young men and young women and we're mentoring people, we say, take responsibility for your life. Stop blaming everyone in the past and where you've been, what you don't have, where you've come from, what they did to me. No, no, the quickest way is to take responsibility, but you have to understand that you're loved by the Father. And most people fall because they don't understand that they're loved. Love is the core foundation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Perfect love casts out all fear. Love covers a multitude of sin. You get all these things about love because God doesn't love you. You know, let me give you, God does not love you. God's in love with you. God can't love. God is love. God doesn't do something because he has to. God is love. God is light and there's no darkness in him. You're getting the picture? You read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we've got weddings coming up. And uh, praise God. I, didn't, I said it like it's bad. <laughs> it says, love is patient, love is kind, love never fought, fought you know, the whole thing. Never fought rights, wrongs. Love, love. And you read it and you read it and you go, yeah, every wedding's got it. But if you were to change that word, love is patient, love is kind, you say God is patient, God is kind. Changes the whole scripture. Doesn't write, you know, doesn't find faults, doesn't keep it in account. You go through that whole scripture. God is patient, God is kind. You can say it this way Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, He is long suffering. But until we get to that, and the question is still asked today, who do you say I am? Because in the last days, there's a deception coming. We know that there's an antichrist coming. And people are all trying to find out on YouTube. They're all experts. They know who it is. They're all experts. But tonight's message is not about the antichrist because there's going to be one that comes to deceive the nations. But we need to be careful because Jesus said in Matthew, do not be deceived. But there's an antichrist spirit in this world. And when you, thought, when you think about that, you think about things like it's a devil, it's an antichrist. No, 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 no. Even contrary to the scripture is an antichrist. And I'm going to show it to you here. Peter, the apostle Peter, God had foreseen that he'd be one of the pillars of the early church, one of the leaders of the early church. And Peter fell into a lot of error along the way. Even after the resurrection, because we know Paul rebuked him. So again, we're not picking on Peter, but Peter is us. And I'm going to, I'm going to say this to you. Tonight, I just want you just to read between the lines of what's happening here. Because God covers a multitude of sin, amen? Thank God for his grace. So in Matthew 26, 31, the guys will get it up there. I'm going to read an account. DK got a mic? Where is he? Yeah. He's going to read this whole, I'm going to get it out of the way. Let him read it and then we'll discuss it, amen? Go for it. So Matthew 26, 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Next. I'll read the whole lot. All the way down to 23. Now keep reading all the way through, sorry. Is it Matthew 16 or 26? Yeah. Okay, before, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, 
Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, unto thee, that this night before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and, said, and saith unto them, unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Just stay there. So Jesus is saying here, that they're going to take me and going to arrest me. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to let that happen. And then he says to him, even if the others, even if the others let you down, I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to die for you. He says, mate, when that rooster crows three times, you have denied me three times. See, Peter had the, what we would call envy and jealousy, and he thought he was above everyone. Why? Because he threw his mates under the bus, or under the camel in those days. There's no buses. <laughs> he got trembled by a chariot. Because he was saying things like, even if they let you down, I'll never let you down. Boasting in his own. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't know what you're on about. Because the problem with, with Peter was that he was operating in the in a natural, in the soulish realm. He was operating in a, in a fleshly realm. You know, in James chapter 3, we're just going to jump around a bit. James chapter 3 and verse 13. Is, uh, is, put it in New King James. Yeah, beautiful. I didn't understand what you read before. It was really, I'm joking. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, which is what Rabbis was speaking on Wednesday, bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. For where your envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, but peaceful, gentle, and willing to yield. Did I jump something? Go back to 15 for me. The wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Stop right there. Peter was operating in a wisdom that was from above. Uh, sorry, not from above, from below. He thought he was spiritual. He thought he had because been walking with Jesus and, and he knew a few scriptures. And when Jesus said, but you're the Messiah, because he got that revelation, I'm the Messiah. Look what he says here. He says, but this type of wisdom, Peter, that you're carrying on about is earthly, sensual, which is soulish and demonic. How many times have we operated in that spirit? You say, well, how do you know he was envy? Because he said, even if they let you down, I won't let you down. It's a spirit that walks very subtly. That we can sometimes say that we are more mature than we think and we operate in a spirit and it's actually an antichrist spirit. And that I've got authority, I know what I'm talking about. That, that, to, to prove my point, Matthew 16. Is that the one I, I sent you, DK? 16. Let's go to 16. I did it back to front. That's okay. I'm used to mucking it up. And verse... What was the verse? What was it? 13 to 23. So Matthew 16, girls. I want to show you something here. What I want you to understand today, and this is something... I'm going to share a story that happened to me many years ago. And I don't mind sharing it. Because it will help you understand not everything that's spiritual is of God. 
Not every word you get, you believe, is of God. I would like a dollar for every prophetic word I got from men and women of God who I love dearly and have done millions of things for the Lord and I'm not putting them down because they've done more than i ever done. But I'd like a dollar for every time every word came to me and it was all different. I love that word. And I'm not putting them down. And they may come to pass, but I'd like a dollar for every time that someone spoke into my life. And I praise God, sometimes I took heed, sometimes I didn't. But I want to share this with you because we're coming into a time of deception about the false and the truth. What is true and what is false. Are you with me? See, before I go there, many years ago I had a business coach. And he was talking about this very thing. And he said, in America, whoever's been to America would know that the dollar, the dollars, uh, the, are all the same size. They look exactly the same. So the $1 bill, the $10 bill, the $100 bill, all looks the same. And they had these experts to find out which one was fraudulent and which one was like fake or real. What was the authentic dollar? In the old days, these days, our dollar's plastic. In the old days, used to, remember the shopkeeper used to hold it up in the light? If you saw a little line inside, the, or you couldn't see it in the natural, but if you held it in the light, there was a little line inside it. I said, that's real. If it didn't have that little line, it was fake. It was printed. But in America, the dollars are all exactly the same size, same color, same shape. And the guys that are experts at knowing, guess what they do? They never study the fake. They never study the one that is counterfeit. They, have, they only study what is real, the real dollar. And they got so familiar with the dollar, every dollar, that when they saw a fake, they knew straight away. In other words, you're not meant to find out what the other side's doing, people. You're not meant to study the other side 24-7, find out what the devil's doing 24-7. And what the, You're meant to study who Jesus is, is the truth. So when the fake comes, you know the truth, because the truth has set you free. Too many people are studying the other side, and I've got rebuked by the Lord over that. It's okay to understand, what are they up to? What's that mean? What's that symbol? What's that? We get that. But when people are engrossed in what's happening and, and engrossed in the other side, in the demonic realm, we used to see demons cast out all the time. So we started to study that realm and I, the Lord rebuked me, says, you study me, not that. Because the counterfeit is only found by the truth. So when, I, when, I, when, I, when you go give an expert an American dollar, because they're all exactly the same size, he knew the fake from the truth. Why? He, uh, he, he knew the truth like the back of his hand. So when something fake came along, Straight away, he picked it. He only knew the fake because he understood the truth. Are you with me? Let's go. Can we go before that? Matthew 16, 13. Yes, 13. Yeah. Okay. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Also, I, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples, saying that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. 
From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chiefs, priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Well, Peter just gets a revelation from heaven that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, man, flesh and blood. In other words, you didn't get this from natural means, but you got it from spirit, from the Father in heaven. A couple of sentences later, he's calling him a devil. What happened? One minute he gets a revelation of you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God. And then a few minutes later he goes, stand behind me, Satan. I don't, I don't believe God was, uh, Jesus was rebuking Peter as Satan. I believe the spirit of Antichrist or the spirit of Satan came upon him because he said to him, can we go back to that verse again? If you don't mind, I just want to show you something. He goes, get behind me, Satan. But can we go to the, the verse before it? I love this one. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. You're dumb. You just rebuked God. <laughs> like, why didn't lightning bolt strike him, split him in half, you know? He rebukes Jesus. Like, are you serious? Like, uh, that, I couldn't stop laughing. I go, you're game, man. He rebukes Jesus. Now, rebuke means like he told him off. Come here, come here, Jesus. Habibi, come here. Yeah. Habibi, he goes, then he says, <laughs> he must be Lebanese. He rebuked Jesus. Like, <laughs> he goes, far be it from me, Lord, that this shall not happen to you. And then Jesus says straight away, the spirit just jumped in there. See, his soul realm was still attached to this world. His soul realm was still attached to the, the spirit realm. But guess what? He couldn't differentiate between what was God and what was him. And look what he says here, next verse. He says, get behind me, Satan. You can say it this way. That spirit, that spirit that you're walking in, Peter, right now is of the Antichrist and doesn't know the things of God and the mind of God. And later on, we know Peter, we read that in the first, when we first started, he says to him, no, 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 if they all let you down, I'm not going to let you down. He doesn't, oh, he doesn't learn. <laughs> but just to show you that the spirit of Antichrist is very close to our hearts, guys. It's an opposite spirit of truth. And Peter, he rebukes Jesus. Like, I don't know how you would do that. And then Jesus says, he rebukes Satan, the spirit behind Peter. In Romans 8, 7, 8. This is what Peter was walking in. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Enmity means your mind wars against God. Your mind right now sitting here cannot is having a punch on with God's spirit. Why? Because if I was to pull you out of the crowd, excuse me, stand up here, you're going to go to Africa one day and preach the gospel, you're going, what? I haven't left Parramatta. Your mind starts to war. It's enmity. But this here it says, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be subject to the law. In other words, your natural mind cannot obey and wants to obey the laws of God. That's why he says he puts them on your heart. That's why he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. That's why he says that when you speak in tongues, your mind is not fruitful. Can you get the picture now? 
that when I speak in tongues, my mind's limiting me. If you were to say to me, I'm doing this 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I would have laughed you out. If you said to me one day you'd be in Brazil in the middle of the Amazon jungle, I don't like food. I can't eat here. I'm fussy. Get all the way to the jungle. What are we going to eat, man? And God takes you, puts you there by his grace. But my mind would have stopped me. If I, if I was to pray to my natural means, there's no way. But when God gets in the picture and he bypasses your natural mind, because your mind's warring against God. It fights against God. There's so much potential in every single one of you that you can achieve, but you limit God by the natural means because the Antichrist spirit is pushing you down. I can't be like this. I can't do that. That's not me. That's not there. That's not my lifestyle. That's, you know, you don't know where God, God may never call you to leave this city, but God's called you to greatness. He has. If the kingdom of God is in you, how much better? We don't understand who he is yet. And the question still rings out, who do you say I am? Is he just a shepherd that guides you? See, to some people, you might, you might have come to Christ because you're a sinner and you just brokenness and you came to Jesus as a saviour. Some of you might come to the saviour, but you need a healer. Some people need provision. Some need to meet the father. Some need, there's so many, but in the whole aspect of Jesus, you have to understand who he is in your life. See, he's not a magic genie in a bottle. Too many Christians say three prayers, give a couple of dollars, $2.50 in the can, and hope, poof, Jesus pops up and he gives you what you want. And the minute it gets a bit tough, and minute it gets a bit of persecution, and a bit of bit of shove, we all we scatter like sheep. That's what the disciples did. And we've got to understand today that in the spirit of grace and mercy, God's got us, that we need to understand what's the difference. See, everyone's looking for a devil with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. And he's probably sitting right next to you right now. Don't, don't, don't look. If God is in everything in us, that was the enemy. That's why he says to Peter, Peter, I've prayed that you don't fall because the enemy has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith won't fail you. God has placed amazing things on the inside of every one of us. What is it that we don't understand that God's doing in our life? See, we have a perception perception that my life's going to be like this. So we have a picture. Then we get saved and then that picture changes. This is what I'm going to be like now. And God smashes both pictures. Because what we perceive we're going to do and where we're going to go and how I'm going to feel, what am I going to own, where am I going to live, who am I going to marry, it gets broken. But then God, what he does, he has little pieces, he starts to put them together like a mosaic. And he starts to make it authentic in your life. He starts to see you in different places. I've never, I was sitting here weeping in worship because I was thanking God for my life because you don't know me. I know me. You don't know me. You don't know where I've come from, where I've been, what I've done. But God does. And you know what he says? I remember him no more. He puts pieces in my life together. It's like a canvas and he's painting a new picture. If I'm obedient to him, he'll take you to places. He'll do things in your life you've never dreamed. But if we want to walk in a, in a soul realm, we want to walk in a, a place where the, we won't deal with envy and strife, we won't deal with bitterness and anger, we won't deal with insecurity and fear, we won't deal with you know, offense and unforgiveness, we won't deal with the identity crisis. The greatest problem we have in the church is identity. We have an identity crisis, not a sin crisis. If I identify Tony, the old Tony, sin is on my door. If I identify as Christ-like, guess what? Righteousness and peace is at my door. What do you, how do you identify? Where's your heart with the Lord? 
If there's an antidote for that, it's Jesus Christ. His word, if you do nothing else but just read his word and find out who he says he is, who do you say I am? Jesus was pretty tough on some people, eh? You read some scripture, he wasn't a lovey-dovey Jesus, peace, man. He called people sons of the devil. He called people, you're a son of a snake. You're vipers. There's a lot of stuff he did. Jesus it doesn't fit our picture, does it? I wrote in here that the, the Spirit of God builds up. The Spirit of God corrects. The Spirit of God edifies. The Spirit of God loves. The opposite spirit is an antichrist spirit, which is tears down, demands, manipulates, and destroys you. And I know some Christians are walking in that spirit because it doesn't edify, it just destroys. Always looking for the wrong. Devil's attacking me. Devil's attacking me. Devil, bro, he hasn't got enough time to attack you, man. You've taken up all the time. What about everyone else he's trying to attack? You've taken all the time up. Sometimes I've got to cast Christians out of demons. Because it's always the devil's fault. But I never look in the mirror and say, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have read that. I shouldn't have. But it's the devil's fault. Yeah. There is a devil out there. But Christ has done a miracle in your life. You need to see the miracle in your life. You know, someone asked me about church. He said, what's the church like? I said, imperfect. He said, what do you mean? They go, well, we're a church. It's a hospital for the sick. Not for not a place for the righteous. If you're going to look for someone who's righteous and holy and doesn't make mistakes, don't come here. And good luck finding one, by the way. I had this pastor once says, I would have the best church if it wasn't for people. <laughs> if it wasn't for people, I'd have the best church. Come on, man. We're just human beings that are on this journey of life and we are growing into the things of God. But if you limit yourself just there and say, you know what? I want to grow. I don't know what I want to walk in Christ spirit, not an antichrist spirit. I know it's freaking you out every time I say antichrist. But some things that look like God aren't God. See, an anti-venom is pumping you with a, a, a jab to help you from a snake bite. They put the real, they don't put the real stuff in you, they put something similar to fight the real stuff. Well, when one day when the antichrist stands up there, he's not gonna, he's gonna pretend to be the Messiah. That it's an anti. It's not, it's a replica. It's not the truth. But you know the truth and he will set you free. And there's deception coming every day. Deception comes knocking on your door every day. How does it come? The, oh. You know how it comes? Is if you don't check your heart with the heart of God. And you don't understand that you have to be Christ-like. And if you don't give time for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, guess what? If you don't give time for the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're giving time for the Antichrist spirit. Or the demonic spirit. Some, one spirit is going to, a spirit is going to run your life. It's just the way it is. Which one are you submitting to? Which one are you laying down your life for? See, I serve the Lord not because I have to. Because I want to. Because he's changed my life. You know, can I say it this way? When Jesus was with his 72 disciples and he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they all took off. He goes, you just want to go too? And Peter goes, where will we go? Because we don't understand what you just said because it's against our traditions in the Jewish faith to eat flesh and blood. They're thinking he has to eat literally flesh and blood. He says, but where do we go? You have the words to eternal life. Wow. 
you have the words to eternal life. Not just heaven, going to heaven, eternal life is spiritual life in eternity. Right now, your spirit's seated in heavenly places. Right now. So he's saying to him, if Christ lives in us, listen to me, if Christ lives in us via his spirit, and you don't turn inwards to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing then? If your first place is to blame and to seek help without turning inward into the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on the greatest achievement that you have. Turn yourself over to turn your eyes upon Jesus inwardly. It's an inner man witness. We're looking for an external revelation. We're looking for an external manifestation. We're looking for an external glory to fall from heaven. But it's internal. He says the kingdom of God is within you. True. It's within us. Matthew 27, 54. I'm going to finish with this. I'm not going to go too long tonight. We're on the cross. Jesus is hanging on a cross. And look what it says. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake. And the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Roman centurions are murderers. They've been to war. They, they don't become a centurion unless they've killed a certain amount of people. They've seen crucifixions. They've seen punishment that would cool your blood. And they see this Jesus, and there was something about this Jesus on this cross. This man was different. There's something about these Romans who weren't under the covenant. The Romans weren't covenant people. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't understand who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. They didn't have any of that. These were murderers who were occupying a people they hated. And yet they look upon this Jewish man on a cross thinking that he's a king, laughing at him. And they turn around and he says, this is truly the Son of God. This Roman Shadun had more sense than half of Israel. And we ourselves are... Do we look upon the cross? See, our faith is in the finished work of the cross. And we need to look up at the cross and say, thank you, Jesus. You are truly the Son of God. There is no one like you. There's no church like you. There's no man like you. There's no angel like you. You are the source of life that you gave your life that I might have life. Let's not get away from the fact that Jesus died and rose again. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God. And the devil hasn't, he can't deny that anymore. What he does, he infiltrates us. I've got a gift on my life and they won't promote me. Or I, they don't understand what I'm about. And you isolate yourself, you separate yourself, and that's the spirit of Antichrist. You know, you look through the whole scripture. They talk about people sinning, talk about people falling. In all the epistles, and it's always about grace coming back, restore, repent, come back. But the only time you read in Revelations and a few other places, he says, and Jude they come after the ones that separate themselves from the body. They are false prophets, false teachers. They were in the body and they separate because they were doing things on their own outside the body. They're an antichrist spirit. It's all about them. Jesus says, well, I'll be lifted up. I'll draw men unto me. If anyone's drawing themselves unto me or Rabs, we're in trouble. But we draw them unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that's going to heal you. We're just vessels in his arms, and so are you. So there's a lost and dying world out there. And some people need to grow up. 
Some people have been in the faith a long time. They still need, they need to grow up. They need to take action and responsibility for their own life. No more magic wand touches Hala Habibi and tell me, I'll give you a hug. We need to do that. We need that. But it's the saddest, only I said this to me, it's the saddest thing. I see people I've known for years and still walk around that same mountain 10, 15, 20 years later. Sad. Never moving an inch into their destiny, into their calling. The Israelites were cheering, the Hebrew people cheering, we got out of Egypt. As soon as there was a bit hot, let's go back to Egypt, man. At least we had food. So quick, you can go back to your bondage. Go back to your slavery. Go back to your, you know what? The hardest thing for a Christian, I'm talking to Christians here, and this was really deep in the spirit. It's hard. It's one thing. It's hard to learn something new. It's even harder to unlearn it. And some things we need to unlearn that we've learned in the church. We've bound ourselves in the church. I'm not putting anyone down, but there's so much more God wants from us to achieve so much more. But we're not. We're restricted. Oh, I've got a revelation once, and I'm sitting on that revelation forever. And God says, but go a little bit closer. When God started to baptize the church in the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, they said, oh, we've got the Pentecost. Yay! And then they thought that was it. They made it. And then, hang on, that's the beginning of the feast. So much more than just getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. They did a survey of these Pentecostal churches in America. I think it was something like 20% of the church actually praying in tongues. There was like 80% that got baptized in the Holy Spirit and only 20% pray. What's the point? What's the point? All right, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whoopie doo. No power in that. If I give you the keys to a car as a gift, but you never drive the car, what was the point? If I put a million dollars in your bank account, but you never go and, and, and take it. What's the point? You've got it, but there's no power behind it. There's no authority behind it. We need to unlearn some stuff to allow the Holy Spirit to come in. Sometimes God has to break the vessel to rebuild it. We're coming into a time now in these last days, if we're not careful, we'll be trying to rebuild stuff that God's already put to bed and killed in our own hearts. Parents, you don't have to allow your kids to go through what you went through. That's dead and buried now. We've conquered they're more than conquerors. Why should we rebuild some landmarks that have been broken in our life because we feel like, uh, you don't know what it will be. No, no, no. Your kids do not have to pay for what we've been through. We've paid for it. Jesus paid for it. So move on to the next destination. That's why Rabs' word is so prophetic at the moment because they're trying to attack our next generation in the schools and in the kids and, and brainwashing them with all this garbage. And it's time for us to rise up as the church, amen? We're the answer to this world's problem. Not our leaders. Not our political leaders, not our so-called church leaders. It's got to be you and me. You are a leader. You're leading yourself and your family into the destination of what Jesus wants us. Because the last day harvest is coming. Jesus is on his way back and you don't want to be here. The Bible says that in the last days, it'd be the dreadful day of the return of the Lord. Why is it the dreadful day of the Lord when Jesus comes back? It should be a good thing. It's only dreadful for those who don't know him. It's a dreadful day. It's a sad day. It's a horrible day. Can we stand? Can you cue up that song, but put it on softly? Sorry, it's not a Sunday message. <laughs> Share this. Put it softly, yeah. To show you that the enemy is scared of the church. You know, we talk about the enemy that we're scared of him. No, the enemy is scared of the body of Christ. There was a man in my old church named Ralph Parker. He was a North Shore businessman. When he spoke, you can tell he's really 
eloquently spoken, like North Shore accent, and he got saved. And he married a Vietnamese lady, and he went to Vietnam, and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? This guy was a, this guy was a big businessman. He did big business. And then he got saved. He lost it all, got saved, and cut a long story short, he went to Vietnam. He says, Lord, what have you got for me? And he was walking through a village in, in, in Vietnam, and he saw a bunch of kids picking on this other kid, crying, and they were picking on him. And it turns out that this kid had a cliff palate, you know, when they're born with their lip, like cliff palate. It's very common in Vietnam, and these kids were picking on him, saying he's cursed and that. And straight away, he knew, that's what I'm going to do. So he started this big ministry in Vietnam, and he got chased out, he got threatened, he got, he was going to kill him to get out of the country because they're a communist country. But he kept persisting. And he would raise money. So it was back then it was $250 Aussie to do an operation on a kid to, to stitch up and fix their lip. Then he got into uh, treating people with cancer and all these different things in the village. And it would cost us probably the max we'd have to pay was 500 bucks for a kid to go through cancer treatment or to get their eyes done. And he just revolutionized all these places. And he started, now God started to open doors. So he started teaching business people in Vietnam and it was all scripture but they didn't know that. And he tells a story about a man. He goes, he was helping this village. They, they, um, they had a flood. And he, he rang up this man in, in an Asian country. I think it was the, um, in, in the Philippines from memory. He rang him up and says, I need 150,000 American dollars to feed these people for, 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 for a month. Within 24 hours, the guy put the money in his account. And this guy tells a story about this particular guy who sold out for the gospel. He sold out, he, he starts multi-million dollar businesses all around the world and 90% of the money goes to the gospel. The, the, the fees get paid, the people get paid, the costs get paid and he just releases the money for the gospel. And he tells a story about what I'm talking about today, how you can be in the church but not be sensitive and knowing what the real from the fake. So they set up, a, a, in Malaysia, they set up a business and in that business they put out there someone to help run the a CEO to run the business and this man came up. And he was the best candidate. He was a Bible college student. He, he graduated in his theology. He had a business degree. He was a young man. He was on fire for God. It all looked so beautiful. He said, you know what? You've got the job. And he gets the job. And the first six months, their profits went through the roof. They thought, wow, God's blessed us. The next six months, sorry, after six months, this man resigned out of nowhere. He said, well, why did he resign? So he went and flew down. They said, you better get your butt down here because there's problems. So what's the problem? This CEO, this perfect Christian model, all the degrees, knew the scripture back to front, business degrees, all that, started doing shady deals. And then the government got involved and that business went broke overnight and nearly went, some of these people nearly went to jail. And he goes, what happened, Lord? What happened? This business is for the gospel. This business, and, 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 and he's sitting there in prayer and the Lord said, and they did some investigations. They found out that guy was a satanic worshiper who went to Bible college, got his degree, did everything right, and he was just sent to destroy that business. And in the conversation with Ralph Parker, he said, man, and these guys are not dumb people. These guys are sending millions to the gospel and they prayer warriors and everything. He said to him, but was there something in the interview that you didn't like? He goes, you know what, bro? He didn't say bro. He said, you know what? There was something in my spirit that just didn't sit right. But everything was there. The credentials was there. The look of him was there. The words he spoke. He was such a, a moral Christian, businessman, heart for people. We, and we checked his credentials. It all was legit. 
But something in my spirit said, this is not right. He goes, well, you just ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because he couldn't realize he should have known the real from the fake. And that man was a satanic worshiper. Look how far the devil will go. He'll send them into our Bible colleges to train them up to destroy us. This is 20 years ago. This guy told me this. I blew my mind. He goes, you know how many people I counsel in this area? You must get it. Once you say, I want to do this for Jesus, guess what? The radar's on you. But you need to know that it's not out of fear. God restored that business because God's hand was upon him. But he learned a valuable lesson. You need to know the real from the fake. Some people aren't getting promoted because there's some stuff in you that has to die. Some people, someone might walk in the door tomorrow and he could be so talented and so respected. We get them all the time. Hey, Rabs, we get people all the time coming in and we love them and everything. But guess what? They're, not, they're, they're coming out of a wrong spirit. Or someone might come in who's just broken and busted and God's going to use them to be, take over our job as a preacher. I've resorted to the fact that God, if he says step down, someone better, someone's coming. It's not even better. It's God does what he does, how he does it. But until that point, we're going to run this according to the Holy Spirit. Because we don't want to be a place where we just get deceived and get taken out. When I got saved, they said to me, I said, Parramatta's my heart. This is the Parramatta region. This is my heart. They said, don't get a Parramatta. Everyone gets wiped out in Parramatta. They told me all these stories about ministers running off with secretaries. They get done, get a Parramatta. There's a stronghold in Parramatta. So I went for a walk and I found out every Freemason symbol in Parramatta. And I found out every stronghold in Parramatta. And, and my mentor back then, she knew it all back to front. And one day I was about to walk the streets and bring down this principality. And the Holy Spirit said, if you go, you die. Stood back. Because that's not my role. My role is to preach the gospel. God will bring an apostle and a prophet and a preacher. And, a, and God's been doing that through our lives. You know what? Because I'm obedient to what Christ has for my life. And you need to be obedient to you. You need to understand like that centurion. He looked up and says, you are truly the son of God. And when you understand who the son of God is, when you say, who do you say I am? You say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And my life is no longer mine. It's yours. And watch what God does in your life. Because the deception is knocking on your door every day. I don't have to open the door, do I? Because he loves me. And I pray tonight that you understand that there is someone knocking on your door. And it could be that small voice inside you saying, nah, they don't love me. Nah, this doesn't work. Nah. What about me? It's not about you. The quicker you know it's not about you, it's about Jesus, then you'll get the benefit. Peter, it was all about Peter. No, I'll do this for you, Lord. And he was willing. He chopped the guy's ear off at the garden. Trust me, he wasn't going for his ear. He was trying to chop his head off. He was just a bad shot. He was willing to do what he said he was going to do, but that's not what's of God. That wasn't God's, that wasn't a spirit of God there. That was a man operating in his own flesh. And are we going to trust God in every situation and not trust the spirit of Antichrist? Because that one day, that man of perdition is going to knock on the door and the whole world is going to be deceived and you can stand firm knowing that you know the truth. Amen? Can we put this up a bit?